Okay, good evening. We're going to be discussing tonight a, uh, a very important piece from Rav Shimshim Pincus on this week's parsha, which is Bahar. And it's going to be on the topic of Kedushas Beis HaKnesses. The Kedushas Beis HaKnesses, how to give proper honor and appreciation to a shul, is very... Uh, very relevant in the days that we're living in, these complicated, confusing times where we find ourselves banished, in a certain sense, from our shuls. It's, uh, it's obviously a gezerah. There's been very few times in Jewish history, uh, other than the Holocaust, that we didn't have access to our shuls, and maybe during the Roman uh, uh, the Tsarist that we had with uh, the Romans during the Bayashani or something. I don't know, going back in history, I'm not sure uh, when the last time it was that the entire Klal Yisrael basically were not allowed to daven in their shuls. And obviously it's because of a machla, but the machla is from the Rabbi Shalom. So it's not, we can't even blame it on, uh, on some cruel anti Semitic uh, thugs. We have to do a lot of introspection, try to figure out why in every single shul in the world uh, there has been a, uh, a prohibition or a, uh, at least a medical uh, warning not to daven in the shul. And, um, and whatever the reason is, you know, I don't claim to have uh, a, uh, a direct uh, connection to the Rabbi Nisham that I could tell you definitively why we don't have permission yet to daven in our shuls, but I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to say that we're maybe not appreciating the the beauty and the glory and the purpose of a shul enough that HaKadosh Baruch Hu felt that we should have this chus to daven there. I'm not saying that's the only reason, but it's definitely a uh, something to reflect upon that if we were zeicha to really davening and shul properly, maybe we would still have it. And there's a lot of things that a lot of us could do better in shuls. The first thing that, of course, we would have to do better is to stop dav- stop talking during davening, and um, and that's a very tall order apparently because if you go to a lot of shuls. And I, I'm sorry to say that sometimes even in some yeshivas, uh, there are chavra, there are people that, for some reason, uh, they just need to talk. They just need to converse. They feel that the shul is a place that uh, they can chill. It's a place that they see their uh, friends that maybe they didn't see since last Shabbos. And uh, they could talk about things and they could tell jokes, whether it's being gavra la gavra, or whether it's sometimes it's incredible, but sometimes you see people uh, talking during Mayriv. Sometimes you go to shuls and you see people talking right in the middle of Mayriv, right in the middle of Birchus Kriyashma Mayriv, or during Chazar Sashatz, or during Kriya Satayra, or doing any, you know, that's, it's not uncommon. And so the first thing that obviously I would, uh, I would personally reflect upon if and when we get the opportunity to go back to the shuls is how we can better our conduct in shul, how we could better uh, the uh, the way that we behave in a shul. 
and maybe this break that we've had from davening in a shul maybe is a would be a healthy uh, way to that when we come back we're able to say wow this is really a, a makam amikdash this is a place that Akrish Baruch Hu is mashra ashrine ein zois kim beisalikim ein zekim beisalikim v'zeshar shamayim that would be an amazing thing if you could just think for a second about that first time they were going to be allowed back into a shul with a minion and with Kriya Satira and with Baruch Hu and with Kaddish and with Kedusha and with, uh, with everything else, that's going to be an amazing, amazing first moment. And if we're silly and, and foolish, we'll just go back and right away slip into our old habits and start schmoozing and start playing with our phone again and start, uh, you know, doing everything wrong. But if we were B'nai Taira, that really got the point, and we're not just, uh, you know, circumventing the point and avoiding the point, but we're, we're dealing with it head on, we would say, okay, I want to be makabal on myself, that I want to behave in a shul. When I come back to the shul, and now's the time to think about it, I want to make a kabbalah that I'm going to really act in a way that this is a base Hashem. This isn't just a big room with uh, you know that provides me services of uh, of davening. This is a this is a makam that Akrishparchu is mashre shchinein, and that would be a very very important takeaway right now in our lives. If as it seems that you know we're getting closer to that day of things opening up, things to seem to be opening up at a rapid-fire pace, and uh, whether it's advised that it should be that, or whether it's just for the economy, and it's not such a good idea, and maybe it's still a sakana, there's a very big debate amongst Paiskim right now as we speak as to, should we go back to Shul? Let's say the government says that we, uh, you know, we, we, we can open up the economy, the stores are opening, and the synagogues could open also. Is it a good idea to go, or is maybe just the president has to do this to save the economy because people are literally starving to death. He's got to do something, so he's doing it. But maybe uh, it's still a sakana. Maybe it's not yet the right time. We don't know. These are these are questions that really have to be weighed by G'dayli Yisrael in, in, in conjunction with major doctors that are specialists in this field of uh, immunology and uh, epidemiologists. But... It's still an open question, but let's say we get the green light. A lot of people are uh, already davening in backyard minyanim, and they're dealing or porch minyanim, or whatever you call them, and certain communities have openly allowed that. Certain communities still have not, and uh, if you're in a community that has not, then don't risk it. It's not kedai. It's not kedai to risk it on the medical end, and it's not kedai to risk it on the, on the, on the ruchniistic end. Because you're going against G'dayli Yisrael, you're going against Paiskim. So you're trying to be too smart. You're trying to outsmart the Paiskim and think that you're from because you're davening in a minion that, and you really want it. Everybody wants to. But until the G'daylam, together with the doctors, Paiskim, that it's okay and that it's not a Sakana, then we shouldn't be doing that. But let's fast forward to the day that everybody is Maskim, we can go back to Shul. At that day, on that special, special day, we have to enter the shul with new eyes, and with new appreciation for what a shul is. And now that the shuls are shuttered, and they're, and they're dark, and they're empty, and they're lonely, now's the time that we should be spending some 
major, major thinking about how we can go back to Shul and Davin uh, in a way that would give HaKadosh Baruch Hu the ultimate nachas. Rapinkas comes here and he basically makes the case in a remarkable way based on a Pasuk in this week's parsha, uh, a case that I think maybe better than anyone else could in our Dar. And listen to what he says. On the Pasuk of a Mikdashi Tira'u, you should fear my Mikdash. You have to have awe. You have to have a, a feeling of trepidation when you come into Shul. Does anyone have that? When you come into a Shul, when you come into Yeshiva, do you feel that it's a place that the Rabbi Shalom is really in? I'll never forget, I had a, uh, I think I mentioned this not too long ago even, but there was a, uh, one of the janitors in Lander, um, who is no longer there, I don't, he might have been Nifter, I think he died, um, but he was a Catholic uh, janitor. Sorry? He was a Catholic janitor, and he was, uh, I don't know, he was like a, a little bit of a strange guy, to be honest. But he uh, he came into, uh, he was in Yeshua for quite a while, cleaning, and his job was to clean the base medrash. That's where he cleaned. And he was in an elevator, we were taking the elevator together, down or up, and, uh, you know, we used to just schmooze, as long as you could schmooze in an elevator, you know, how are you, how are you doing? And he told me, he says, you know, Rabbi, when I clean the base medrash, he says, I feel God in that room. I feel like I'm, I'm literally like in a room together with God. That's what he told me. And, um, and I walked out of that elevator partly inspired and partly depressed because I was inspired by the fact that this guy was able to be makir to recognize that there's God in the room of the base matters, but I was depressed because I wasn't. And it's strange that a, a guy would have a hergish, would have a feeling that a Jew doesn't have, let alone uh, a Jew that, uh, that, that claims to be a Rav. And it's a frightening thing. Do we, when we walk into a base medrash, when we walk into a shul, do we say, oh, I like the air conditioning, or there's, it's too hot, it's too cold, uh, the lighting is too bright. Are we focused on that, or are we focused on that this is a base Hashem? O Mikdashai Tiro'u, the Pasuk says in this week's parasha. You're supposed to fear, you're supposed to be in awe of a Mikdash, of a holy place. When you walk into a holy place, you're supposed to, like, tremble. Do we do that? Have we ever done that in our life? Will we do it when we're able to come back to the base Madrash? Look at what Rapinka says. Yeshnam Rabbim Hatayim Bavanis Amusik Mikdash Ma'at. Everybody throws around this these words Mikdash Ma'at. The shul is a Mikdash Ma'at. What does that mean? It's a mini Mikdash. How do you understand that? People make a mistake. Rapinka says. Avol Ha'Emesh Mi Bechinas Hakesher Shalonu Marabanu Shalom LeHistana Davar Milifnei Churban Beis Mikdash Lacharov. What do we think of? When we think of a, of a Mikdash Ma'at, what we, 
I think generally think of, all right, it's a Makkah Mikdash, but that's in name only. Like, it's a nice way to call uh, the, the a shul, it's a mikdash, but it doesn't really mean that it's like a base on mikdash. It's a building. It's in Queens. It's on a you know it has a, it has benches and it has a sefer Tyra. All right, let's give it a nice uh, a nice title. We we'll call it a, a a little mikdash, a little mikdash. That's a cute name to call. A, 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 but it's not. Is it really a mikdash? Not a mikdash. It's a shul. It's a shtibol. It's a it's a base madrash. It's a yeshiva. It's not a not a mikdash mad. It's not mamish a holy temple. And, uh, you know, just bizarre ampin in a miniature form. It's a mini, it's like a, it's like a very, very shvacha, uh, reflection of what the real Beis Hamikdash was. Rapinga says that's absolutely wrong. And maybe because we don't understand this, or we didn't understand it until tonight, that's why we never really gave it the proper awe and reverence. And listen to the mashal that he gives. Rapinga is the best with Mishalom. He says, Before 30 or 40 years, Now I need to give you a little bit of a, of a background over here, because I don't know how many people know what a tape is in this audience. Um, when I was growing up as a kid, so in order to record something, you didn't have an MP3 player, and you didn't have, a, uh, you didn't have a, an iPhone, and you didn't have uh, any of these newer uh, products but rather, or devices, but rather what you had was a big bulky box, like maybe the size of a shoebox, but flatter. And there was a, uh, a thing that popped up, like a little plastic piece that pops up, and you put like a plastic tape. I'm sure you've seen pictures of it, but you take a plastic uh, tape. It's about the size, maybe a little bit bigger than a credit card. And you put that in, it has like a, it has like a funny film like that goes through it. And, and basically it was either you could buy a 45 minute tape, a half an hour tape or an hour tape. And you would flip it over like in the middle. Like if let's say you were in sheer and it was a half an hour tape on each side, it would go, you'd press the record button. And then at the, at the half an hour, it like boom, you hear like a click. And it means that it's over, and you got to quickly run to the tape recorder, flip it over, press, close the, uh, close down the, uh, the thing, and then, and then, uh, and then start recording again. You always miss a few seconds uh, between those times of the flip, unless the rebbe or the teacher was really nice, and he would stop and wait for you. But that's basically, It wasn't like unlimited, like a, like an MP3 player that we have. But it was, uh, it was at a gavol, and and when and the last. Gilgal of the tape was was sort of like a small a small uh, a small tape that's like I said maybe a little bigger than a credit card, but that was an uh, the latest coolest version. Before that, there was something called an eight track. An eight track is like a it was like the size of like a video tape, which you also don't know what that is, but it was like more of a size of let's say. Uh, I don't know, like a safer of maybe this size. That's what it was like, and it was like much bigger. And so technology introduced the modern tape, which was like a big deal in those days. And so, so the tape, the, the tape of 30, 40 years ago, before the cool, cooler quote-unquote tape, was very big. It was an 8-track tape. It was like a whole thing. Mamish Hefza. It was like a whole, it was like schlepping a book around in order to record something. 
ve'ilo kayyayim, but nowadays, or Pincus was saying this at a time that the newer tapes were still being used, and they were like cutting-edge technology, ha-tape shebiadeno katen har the tape that we have is much smaller. Doesn't mean, what does it mean it's, they made it smaller? Does that mean that they, that they shrunk the, uh, that, they, that they took a hammer or they took a saw and cut the original 8-track tape in half or in a quarter of it? No, of course not. What, what it means is that they just were able to give us whatever was in the 8-track tape, they made it much smaller. Everything was shrunken down. But it doesn't mean to say that you were sacrificing anything by making it smaller. The technology was able to just sort of cram in whatever they had originally. They went back to the drawing board and they said, hey, we don't need to make it this big, we can make it much smaller, and it'll accomplish the same exact thing. Maybe it's even, it could accomplish even more, who knows? Just, uh, you know, it just triggered in my mind, I read, I read once uh, a very, very interesting story about Apple, uh, Apple computers, uh, who was, you know, was led by the brilliant um, um, Steve Jobs. He was the founder and the... Uh, you know, the head of the CEO of, of Apple, and he was, he was brilliant, but he was not exactly the biggest tzaddik in the world in terms of midas. He was like very, in, like they say, you don't get to where you are, you know, unless you, you're tough. Like he, if he was a lemachal, he wouldn't have been able to make Apple computers. He had, to, he had to be tough with his employees, and he demanded a lot. So what happened was he was making... I think it was like the the uh, iPod, right? The iPod, that was like before the iPhone came out, he made an iPod. It was like basically, I don't have to tell you what it is, it was basically like a, like a thing, like a, you know, like the size of, let's say, an iPhone today, and it had, or maybe a little smaller, and it had, it had thin buttons on it, and you're able to listen to music on it, download music, and download tapes, and maybe, a, you know, videos sometimes, and that's what he was working on. That was his big uh, breakthrough. So the, he told his employees that this is what I expect you to make, but I, I want it to be really sleek. I want it to, you know, all Apple products look spitz, like sleek and nice and smooth and perfect. So they came back with a prototype. They worked like crazy, you know, they crammed in day and night in order to bring you know, the Steve Jobs, what they finally came up with. And he looks at it, and he says, it's still too thick. I want it really thin. I want it very sleek. So they said to him, Steve, you know, this is as thin as it gets. It's not going to get thinner than this. We've been working on this for a long time, and we, we made whatever modern technology, we crammed everything in as thin as possible, and there's no more room to make it skinnier. He says, really? You sure about that? He said, they said, he said yeah. They said to him, yeah, no, no question. So there was a fish tank in his office, and he took the, this iPad, which they worked like crazy on, and he chucked it into the fish tank, and there were bubbles that were coming out of, the, out of this device. And he says, you see, there's still air in there. 
He says it's possible to make go back to the drawing board, and I want it much thinner. And because if there was, if it was as thin as you said it was, air would not be able, bubbles would not be able to come out. That shows that there's still air inside of it. And they taco went back, and they were able to make it smaller. Now the next generation got smaller and smaller and smaller, right? Today they're making microchips. They're making things so teeny. Does that mean that um, you know, in the old days, a computer? The computers that were used to send off, you know, Apollo into space were the size of uh, refrigerators, like a hundred refrigerators in a room. Today, an iPhone has more power than all of those refrigerators combined. Does that mean that we had to, like, cut down a piece of the refrigerator and put it in the iPhone? No, the iPhone is the iPhone, or your, your laptop is your laptop. It does the same exact thing as all those refrigerators, just they were able to make it extremely compact. They were able to take all that technology and boil it down to the lowest, smallest possible existence that it could be in, or at least so far. I'm sure in, in a few years from now, what we have today will look very archaic and very outdated, like as technology is want to do, it always happens that way. You think that your your brand new iPhone X10 11 is like is like it doesn't get better. And that's Elam Haba in this world. It's never gonna. We're at we're it. We're at the ceiling of technology. It's not true. We're mamish. We're at the tip of the iceberg. We don't even know what technology is going to look like in, in five years from now, in ten years from now, and what if there's going to be an internet or it's all going to be artificial intelligence, if we're going to, if we're going to have, have to use devices or devices are going to be in our, embedded in our hands. Like, we don't even know what's going to be. We have no idea. But one thing is for sure that they're going to keep on making things smaller and smaller. And the smallness of it does not in any way affect it. The opposite it seems like the smaller that they're getting, the greater the power that they have, which is the irony of it. You're not sacrificing a kihuzeh by the fact that technology is getting more compact. It's getting stronger as it's getting more compact. Now, how is this Nagea Shuls? It's a very interesting conversation if we were taking computer science, but how is this affecting our discussion here about a Mikdash Ma'at? So look at what Pinka says. Mikdash Ma'at a mikdash mat does not mean, okay, we got like a piece of the Besam mikdash. That's what a shul is. A shul is like a, like a, a fiber of the Besam mikdash, or it's like a remnant of the, a piece of the Besam mikdash. No. Zehu Besam mikdash, shalim, pizeer, ampin. It's basically taking a Besam mikdash, which is a very large, impressive edifice that was sitting on top of the Harabayas, and basically... A real Mikdash Ma'at is like all of that compacted into a very small building. It might be an impressive size shul, it might be a little shtibol, it might be a basement minyan, it might be a, a, a anything, a base medrash, it could be panovich, or it could be lander, or it could be, it could be a little you know, yeshiva with a minyan of boys learning there. But every single base medrash, every single... Beis HaKnesses in the world, that's obviously with the proper mechitza and the proper ruach and the proper hashkafas, etc. Those all are places that are not a, a piece of the mikdash. It's not a mikdash mat. We have a, it's like a nice uh, uh, commemoration of a mikdash. It is the mikdash. 
It is the Mikdash Mamish. It's a it's a Mikdash Bezerampin. It's a it's a much smaller Mikdash. It's much more compact, but it's not in any way a diluted version of the Mikdash. It's just a smaller version of the Mikdash. A Mikdash Ma means it's a small it's like a smaller version of a of a computer chip or of a tape or of a or of a or of a laptop or a, a tablet or a or any device. Everything that we had when we were younger, if you look back at the old pictures, everything was big. You know, everything had to be really big. And now they make everything so nice and small. That's not sacrificing. The smallness of it, it might seem like, oh, it's smaller, so it's less powerful. It's more powerful sometimes. A mikdash ma'at literally means it's a base on mikdash, but it's just a smaller, more maybe sophisticated in a sense, possibly, if you could say that version. It's smaller, it's tighter, it's more, it's, it's, it's real. Don't look at the shul that you're davening in, whether it's uh, whatever the shul may be. If it's a shul or yeshiva, shtibal, yeshiva shaminyan, don't look at it as like just a, all right, it's a synagogue, and, you know, but we, we long for the Beislam Mikdash because we don't have the, the it's not necessarily true. Every shul that was founded properly and that people are makbid on it, that is a bit, you're like walking mamish in the Beislam Mikdash. It's a, it's a pillow that you're allowed to wear your shoes when you walk into a, a shul, maybe. It's a pal that you're allowed to walk in b'makle b'tarmiloi. It's a, it's a, it's, 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 it's a, you know, because it should have all the dinam of a mikdash, because it is a mikdash. Should be able to be either regal into your own shul. That's how powerful it is. It's a real base on mikdash. It's just, it's just a, a compact version of it. I'm not saying this. I couldn't say this. But Rapinkas has the credentials to say this. He says that a shul has kol chalois hakedusha shahaisa v'mikdash atzmai. If we would have the base on mikdash and we would be like going in there, wow, we'd be looking at the walls and saying, do you feel it? Do you feel the shechina? Do you feel the kedusha? Well, guess what, Rabbi? Say, a shul that we have today or that we don't have today, but that hopefully we'll have tomorrow, are places that you should also be able to feel and know that there is a Shechina there, there's Kedusha there. It's the holiest place on earth as far as we're concerned. The Beis HaMikdash was a place that was sealed, it was secluded, and it was exclusive for Klai Yisrael to... Communicate with the Rabbeinu Shalom. V'kach harayayim hazeh b'seich galusin. HaKadosh Baruch Hu never stopped that relationship with us. Even within our galus. Hadvekos hakirva v'giloy achdusa yisparach v'aylamay shoy v'vesa mikdash. All of that, all of the closeness, all of the love, all of the oneness that we felt with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his v'vesa mikdash, le'yisbatlum in aylam. It didn't go anywhere. They are all found in the Beis HaKnesset that we have today. It's all there. Nothing has gone. Nothing evaporated. Nothing slipped away from us. We have it all in the shuls. It's just a, it's a compact version of a Beis HaKnesset, but it's the Beis HaMikdash. Mikdash. 
כי אם נחתך לאי חילה קטר מנו שווין זה מקדש. If you want to treat it like a, a piece of the original mikdash, like a remnant of the original mikdash, then it's no wonder why we're not able to daven in a regular shul tonight, because we've never really understood this essential yisaita that Rapinkas is telling us. This yisaita of Rapinkas is, I believe, possibly the only way that we'll be allowed to get back into our shuls. Once we realize that they're not just big shuls, big buildings that we're able to schmooze with our friends, take our calls, and get a davening in at the same time. How nice is that? It's a place that we go that when we enter, we're mamish entering literally the Beis HaMikdash. I would hope that when Mashiach comes and we are allowed to enter into the Beis HaMikdash itself, we would have the good sense to not bring our cell phones into the Beis HaMikdash. And the good sense to not be schmoozing with our friends about shtusim, and not be discussing politics, and not be talking about sports, and not be acting in a way that's completely unrefined and unwarranted in the Beis HaMikdash, right? We would come in there, Be'ema, Be'yur, Be'rest of we'd mamish, be shaking to enter those, the, the doorways into the Beis HaMikdash. And we'd come home and we'd say, Honey, like, I, you don't understand how I felt the Shechina when I went into the Beis HaMikdash. It was like an out-of-body experience that I had. That's, what, that's the reaction that we'd come home with. And we'd be talking about it and we'd come home to our communities in Haifa and in Ashtod and in Bnei Brak and in, and in, and in uh, wherever. And we'd be telling people around us, you know, we just went to Yerushalayim. We went into them. You have to go. It's, it's like a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, what I, what I just went through. You saw the, the, the Mikdash. You saw the, the Aran. You saw the Kruvim. You saw the Kapiris. You saw the, uh, the, the Mizbeach. You saw the Shulchan. Well, guess what? All of those things are in shuls also. It's a Mikdash Ma'at. We have an Aaron in the form of Aaron, Aaron HaKadosh. We have a Shulchan in the form of a Bima. We have a Menorah, many shuls, if not all shuls, have a Menorah of some sort in the shul. And we have many, many other reminders of, of the Makkim HaMikdash. So many things in our shuls are designed after the Beis HaMikdash. So it's not, just, it's not just that we have a piece of the Beis HaMikdash. We have a Mikdash. When we come into, into our shuls, we should be feeling excited, enthusiastic. We should feel the Kedusha, like the janitor and Lander was able to feel the Rabbani Shalom in the, in the base Medrash. There's no reason why you and me should not be able to feel the Rabbani Shalom in the base Medrash. And if we don't, it's a chisarn in us. It's because we are not really understanding, or we never did understand, what a shul really is. Repinkus is opening up our eyes. It's like a mitzvah of farsim, this Repinkus. Now, before we go back into the shuls, whenever that is, and before we start going back to our old habits, which undoubtedly many of us will because we're human beings and that's how we're wired. Whatever we do, you know, like people are saying, wow, after, the, after this corona thing is over, there's not going to be any regular weddings. We're going to have backyard fastness, baloney. Give it a few weeks, a few months, everything is going to be the back the same. With all the takanas, with all human nature is, as soon as one guy in the shul is going to make a big fancy chasma, 
everybody's going to follow suit, or not everybody, but most people will get back. It's, we're, we're, I always say the Jewish people are very smart people, we're also not so smart. We're doing things that are so against normal logic to spend $100,000 on a wedding that we don't have. We don't have the money, so we have to, I have to take out credit card debt and borrow from people for what? For four hours of people drinking schnapps and eating something and I have to feed hundreds of people and, and they go home and they just say, all they say in the car ride on the way home was how, how the meat was too hard and the steak was burnt. Like that's what I have to spend $100,000 for. Isn't it ridiculous? But we're going to go right back and do it. And if we don't get this Rapinka straight now, then woe is us that we go back into the shuls and we don't understand that we have to change our behavior. We have to change our behavior and act as if we're mamish walking in lefnaiv lefnim as the kind Gadol did on Yom Kippur, because that's pretty much what we're doing. We just have to remind ourselves or learn it right now that when we come back into those shuls, when they finally open the locks of those doors and they dust off the benches or the, or the shtenders and we're able to come back in, that we shouldn't fall back into the bad habits of before. Before it was like if you turned off your phone or if you put your phone in a cubby, you know, you were like the from guy in shul. Today, if a guy should pull out a phone and, and use it in shul, he's like an avarian. It's like such a, are you the, you, you know, it's just, it's like a crime that you do that in a shul after you lost the shul for so long and now you didn't learn anything from it. Rapinkus is saying it's not just a building and you know that has a good kiddish in it. A shul is a mikdash ma'at, which means that it's mamish, the base hamikdash and its beauty, just put in a smaller package. It's just sort of like shrunk into miniature form, but it's it's a full base hamikdash. The Rabbi Shalom's base hamikdash before the Khurban and after the Khurban is the same. It's the same Rabbi Shalom in the Mikdash, it's the same Kedusha. It's the same Taira, it's the same Avaida, and we have to learn that now before we're allowed back in. Aleinu Lada says Rapinkis, Shagam Hamarazu, even in the midst of this bitter exile that we're in, Hakarishparchu Nimsa Imanu, Hakarishparchu is with us now. And therefore, if he's with us, we have to be with him in a very absolute manner. We're not supposed to lose focus on him at all, just like he never loses focus on us. And our focus when we're in shul, our focus when we're in the Beis Medish, Emir Tzashem and Yeshiva soon, our focus when we are davening, our focus when we are learning, should be one of constant, pure, utter concentration on the fact that there's a Rabbi in this room. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is mamish with us in this room. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in, in, in this room now also, of course. But as he was in the Mikdash, at that concentrated level of Kedusha, that concentrated ability to feel the Rabbi presence, if we're properly attuned to that, we'd be able to appreciate it even in our local shuls, our local shtiblach, our local yeshivas. And now is the time to prepare, because, Mirza Hashem, I think that within, within a few weeks, 
it will be again allowed for us to go back into shul with the Rabbanim's approval, of course, and with the G'daylim, with the doctors. And once we have that ability, we have to like be making ourselves for that. If I told you that Mashiach is about to come and you have the opportunity to, in, in a week, you're going to go back, you're going to walk into the Beis HaMikdash, into the Heichel Hashem, you'd probably be doing tshuva now, going to the mikvah now, uh, learning, you know, Sifrei Musar, doing uh, Shari Tshuva, learning about the, the Kedusha Sabayas. I don't know, you'd be learning, you know, incredible things in order to prepare yourself to enter into this holiest of palaces of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Well, we have that same task ahead because we shouldn't be going back into the shul the same way that we, went, that we left the shul on Arab Purim. We should be going into a shul with a new kavana, with a new, with a new set of eyes, a new pair of, of eyes and ears to understand, to pick up, to have our antennas up, that there's, there's a Rabbani Shalom that's really being Mashra Shina in our local Bate Mikdash, Bate Medrashis, Bate Knesiyais. And the more that we're able to realize that, the more HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be mishtaikik to open them up for us and to accept us once again in them. There's tremendous Jews that have made campaigns in every newspaper over the last few years about stop the talking in shul campaigns. They've spent millions and millions of dollars a year publicizing this. They've had tremendous gedalim, rashi yeshivas, rabbonim that have given testimony, given video clips about the, the chaymer of this Indian, but I don't know if anyone could have ever matched these words of Rapinkas. I don't know, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't really, I don't claim to have heard every single video or every single article written on it by all the G'dayim that they have asked to speak, but I don't know if it's possible that Rapinkas's words are, are, could be any less powerful than any, anything that anyone in the universe could say. Because Rapinkas is basically telling us the most tremendous sight about what the shul really is. We don't appreciate the shuls, and that's why we talk in them. And that's why we eat in them. And that's why we, we are, uh, we're doing all types of things that we shouldn't be doing in shul. But if a person was able to understand this Rapinkas and really understand what a shul is, a shul is not a place to socialize. A shul is a place that you're walking into a makim ha-mikdash mamish. And once we're able to understand that, in a mitzvah Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will re-invite us back into the shuls, into the yeshivas, and we'll be able to be stronger than ever, more pure than ever, and be able to, mitzvah Hashem, have our davening and our learning be niskabel the way we exactly want it to be.